Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word given to us in this letter to Titus. Help us by your Holy Spirit to understand why our good works matter and why we are to witness by our good works. Help us to understand, too, that our motivation to keep your commandments and to live a godly life should be out of gratitude and love for you, for your grace and mercy extended to us undeserving sinners. We ask too that by your Holy Spirit you would transform us by the renewing of our minds through your word. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight we've come to chapter 3 almost to the end of this little letter, and we'll be looking at verses 1 to 8. So please have your Bibles open there, uh, because you'll need to refer to some of those verses from time to time. In the two chapters we've looked at so far, we've noticed that it's a very short letter, but it's a powerful letter that actually packs quite a punch. We've seen Paul tell us that the gospel produces godliness in the lives of believers, and that belief and behavior go together. We've seen Paul tell us that one's deeds will either prove or disprove one's claims to know God. We've seen Paul tell us that it's vitally important to have godly men serving as pastors and elders in church. We've seen Paul tell us that True Christian living will draw others to the gospel. We've seen him tell us that good works have an important place to play in the lives of believers. We've seen him tell us that it's important to deal clearly and firmly with doctrinal and moral error in the church. And we've seen that the gospel is the basis for Christian ethics. And last Sunday evening, we looked at the closing verses of chapter 2. And I think it's fair to say that Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15, are perhaps one of the most important Bible passages to explain how God's grace leads to our growing in holiness, in godliness, rather, how God's grace not only means that we are justified and accepted by God, not only means that we are pardoned of our sins, but they mean also and tell us that we are sanctified by his grace. And we saw that we are made godly and strengthened in the Christian life by God's grace. And God's grace encourages us to right thinking and right behavior. And chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, actually carries on that theme of grace. And I, and it, I think it's also fair to say that chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, is again one of the clearest passages in the Bible that explains how God's grace and our good works fit together in the Christian life. 
I think it's important we understand that as Protestants, we know, or we should know, that we are not saved by works. And yet the Bible repeatedly encourages believers to do good works. So where and how do good works fit into the believer's life? Well, that's essentially what Paul deals with in these eight verses. And he does that by telling us that we are to be ready to do every good work in verse 1. If you look at verse 1, it says that clearly. Be ready to do every good work. It's important, again, we understand that we live in a world and in a culture that is becoming, I think, more and more intolerant. And we are seeing now more and more open antagonism towards Christ, towards the gospel, towards Christianity, and even towards the church. So how are we as believers to respond to all of that? What stance should we as believers have or take towards a culture that's becoming increasingly antagonistic to the gospel? There are implications there for outreach. And I think it's fair to say that there are actually many passages in the New Testament that tell us exactly what to do in situations like that. And Titus chapter 3 verses 1 to 8 is one of these passages. And here in these eight verses we see Paul telling Titus what he needs to tell the people in his congregation about how they are to relate to the culture around them. And in doing that, Paul's also giving us guidance and direction. Guidance and direction we need in our day to deal with the same kind of culture that was in Paul's day. And what, what we see today is what, what happened in Crete, where many are antagonistic and even openly hostile to Christianity. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord tells us in Matthew 5, uh, I think it's 44, Matthew 5, verses 44 and 45, our Lord there tells us that we are not only to love our enemies, but to pray for those who persecute us. And my question to you is, how do you love a world that hates you? How do you love a world that is antagonistic to everything you stand for as a believer? Well, Paul does actually give us not all the answers in this passage, but he does highlight three very important things about how we are to live in a world that is antagonistic uh, to Christ, and I would even go so far as to say a world that even hates Christians. So first of all, this passage tells us that we are to be a witness by our good works. And secondly, it tells us why we should do good works. 
And thirdly, it helps us understand how our good works relate to the finished work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and where our works fit into the Christian life. We could say that the theme of this passage is that we are justified by God's grace in order to do good works. It's God's grace. God's grace and good works may seem contradictory, but they aren't. There is no contradiction between God's grace and, our, and the command that we are given to do good works. And I hope we'll see that uh, as we look more closely at our passage together. So firstly, how are we witnesses by our good works? Look at verse 1. Paul there says this, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. I am actually quoting there from the ESV, so it's going to be slightly different to what you see in the NIV. And I've gone with the ESV because I think it, it, it reads much better. So verse 1 in the ESV again, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for, ev for every good work. What Paul says there is very similar to what he actually says in Romans 13. Go to Romans 13 later, uh, and you'll see that he's saying something very similar there. Remember the context in which Paul is, is writing. Many, if not all, the authorities at the time Paul is writing would not have been Christians, and in fact would probably have even hated Christians. And yet Paul says that they are, they, the believers, that is, are to be obedient to rulers and authorities. This is actually very interesting because extra-biblical literature says that the Cretans really hated Roman authority. They viewed the Romans as alien occupiers of their land and their culture. They had, in fact, the same view that the Jews had because the Jews also thought that the Romans were occupiers in the land of Israel. And we know from, from history that the Cretans didn't want the Romans ruling over them. And they were known to be particularly rebellious. And yet we find in these verses Paul telling these Cretan Christians not to act like the rest of the people around them, but to essentially have a different view about those who rule over them. And we know from our studies of the Old Testament that God instituted public, civic, or, or what we would call governmental authority. He instituted that kind of authority to bless people, not to harm them. Even when unbelievers wield that authority, Paul wants us to be respectful of those in authority, of those in government. But there is one proviso, which is that Christians cannot obey laws 
that contradict what God commands us to do in his word. Remember from the book of Daniel when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and I think Abednego were told they had to bow down and worship the statue of the king. They refused. Not only did they refuse, but they actually gave a reason for their refusal, which is that they could not obey the king's order to do something that the Bible or God expressly expressly forbids them to do. That's a lesson for us. However, when secular authority gives lawful commands, we are duty-bound as believers to obey. That's to be our basic attitude to government. And then Paul goes on to talk about not just how you relate to government, but how you are to relate to unbelievers in society. Look at verse 1 again. In the latter half of that verse, Paul tells us that we are to be ready for every good deed. And in verse 2, he goes on to say, we are not to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. In other words, we are to show consideration to everyone around us, whoever and whatever they are. You see, Paul wants us to be a witness that the gospel is true by our good deeds, by how we care about the well-being of others around us. And in verse 1, Paul's actually re-emphasizing what he said in the previous chapter, in, verse, in chapter 2, verses 5 to 10. He's actually re-emphasizing what he says there. It's when young Christian women live the Christian life in their homes and in their families that they become a witness for the word of God. And that keeps the word of God from being reviled. We saw that in chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. It's when men are dignified, sound in their speech, and live lives of integrity that the secular world has nothing to attack Christianity for. We saw that in chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. It's when even slaves are obedient to their masters and live godly lives that they can be a powerful witness to the gospel. We saw that in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And it's interesting that all the things Paul's asking us to do in our relationships with one another, not just within the church, but especially outside the church, are really everyday things. Paul isn't asking us to solve world hunger or bring world peace. Doing good deeds or good works simply means doing to other people what God commands us to do in Scripture. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to act justly. We are to love mercy 
We are to walk humbly with God. We are to honor father and mother. We are not to murder. We are not to commit adultery. We are not to steal. We are not to bear false witness. We are not to covet. It's when we obey these commands of God that we are actually doing good deeds to other people. That's why knowing the Ten Commandments is so important. When you obey those Ten Commandments, you actually more often than not do good deeds to others. And these good deeds might be very simple things. It might be as simple as helping an unbelieving neighbor or work colleague or somebody you, you met while you were out shopping, helping them in some way. Because in doing things like that, we end up showing the tangible love of Christ in a practical way, in a way that often allows us and opens up the door for us to be able to share Christ and the gospel with these people that we meet. See, that's how Paul wants us to bear witness. By doing these good deeds, you actually come alongside somebody, and that opens a door for you to share Christ with these people. So no matter where we are, no matter what situation we might be in, we can all bear witness to God and for God by the way we live the Christian life. And that's why our witness says more about us and, we, and, and touches people's lives more than what we say by our mouths because it's by our good works and what we do to other people that adorns the gospel, that makes the gospel attractive to other people. If we are living the gospel, that makes the gospel attractive to people who watch how we live. And Paul is saying that even slaves can do that. So if you as a slave were able to live that way, what more us today? Shouldn't our lives adorn the gospel? Shouldn't our lives be a witness of what we say we believe? Remember, ever since God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 3, remember what he said there? I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, one purpose of God's people in this world is for them to bring blessing to the world. But there's a problem. The world hates us as believers, even though we don't hate the world back. Just because we love those who are not believers doesn't necessarily mean that they will love us back or even treat us with any kind of courtesy for that manner. But despite that, we are called to love them no matter what. 
We are to want others to be blessed. And we are to treat them in a way that shows we actually care for them. We do that because we don't know and we will never know how God uses our faithfulness by our good deeds. When you obey God's commands and you love your neighbor as yourself, you don't know, we will never know what impact that has on another person and we don't know how God will use that faithfulness. It may be that sometimes people will respond positively, but sometimes they will reject anything and everything we stand for. And Jesus really is our example. And we know from the Gospels that people saw Jesus not only preach, but do good works. Some people listened to him and became followers, but others rejected him. We shouldn't expect to be any more successful than our Savior. And I think it's fair to say there have been generations of godly men preaching Christ ever since the first century. And just as in Jesus' day, some people listened and turned to Jesus and became followers while others rejected him. And it's the same today. We are called to be faithful to God's commands and faithful to do good. We are called to be faithful to do good works. We just don't know how God will use our faithfulness. Jan Haas, who was a Czech reformer in the 15th century, preached Christ. And on the 6th of July, 1415, age 46, was burnt at the stake without seeing reformation in his country. About a hundred years later, God used the preaching of Martin Luther to bring about a Europe-wide reformation and revival. Both Jan Hus and Martin Luther were faithful. But God chose to use Martin Luther's faithfulness in one way and Jan Hus in another. Likewise, we don't know how God will use our faithfulness. But what we know is that we are called to be faithful and obedient. We don't get to choose how God will use our good works. We don't get to, you to choose how God will use our faithfulness. But what we know is that God will use our witness. We don't know how, but we just know that he will. So Paul's answer to the question, how do you relate to a world that hates you, is this. You do good works for them. You have the love of Christ. You show the love of Christ to them by practical works. You behave to them, towards them in a way that even though they resent it, your works will show that you care for them. 
God wants us to have that kind of witness to an unbelieving world. So in verses 1 and 2, Paul's telling us that we are to be ready to do every good work to all people, whether they like us or not. Secondly, why are we to witness by our good works? Let's face it, there are some people that are very, very hard to love and very hard to do good works for. Sometimes those people are our neighbor or people we work with or they may even be in our own families. You may have tried to witness to them, but it's really hard, hard work. So why do we have to love people that don't love us back or even hate us? Why are we to love people who are hard to love? Why are we to love an unbelieving world or the unbelieving world around us? Well, Paul actually gives us three reasons why. Look at verse 3. Firstly, in verse 3, Paul reminds us what we are like apart from the grace of God in the gospel. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. In other words, Paul is saying, remember what you were like apart from the gospel. Remember that you were an enemy of God. And remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2? You were dead in trespasses and sins. That's what we were like apart from the gospel. That's what we were like apart from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to remember that we are sinners saved by grace. We deserved God's judgment, but he was gracious to us. And so our message to the world should be, God is gracious, and we want you to know the same graciousness that God has extended to us. That's our message, that we too were dead in trespasses and sins, that we too were once foolish, that we too were apart from the grace of Christ, that we too were enemies of God, but God loved us anyway. And in his grace, he saved us and drew us to himself. And secondly, in verse 4, Paul tells us to remember who God is. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, in other words, God is good and kind and loving. When God tells us to love our enemies, he's not telling us to do something that he himself hasn't already done. While we were enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. As Romans 5 verse 6 tells us, God in his kindness and love has shown us how to love a world that hates us. 
because he loved a world that hated him. When we have been transformed by his grace, we should want to be like him. We should want to be kind and loving like our God. That's why remembering who and what our God is like is another reason for loving people who are unloving who are, or, or who are hard to love or those who even hate God. And thirdly, in verses 5 and 6, Paul tells us to remember what was done for us. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. In other words, God saved us not because we were good, but because we were sinners. That's why we should be so thankful that God did not send Jesus to save good people, because no one is good, and therefore no one would have been saved. Instead, God sent Jesus to save sinners like us. So remembering what we were once like, remembering who God is and remembering what he's like and what God has done for us in sending his son should be the motivation for us to love a world that hates and even ridicules us. Thirdly, if we are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ, why do good works matter? Look at verse 4. Paul tells us that we are not saved on the basis of good deeds. And look at verse 8. He says this, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. What's Paul saying there? By the way, this isn't the first time Paul said something like that. He actually says this in Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In Titus chapter 3 verse 8 and in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, Paul is saying the same thing. He's saying that we are not saved by our good works, but that we are saved for good works. Salvation isn't based on our good works, but the good works that Christians do are the result of God's new creation work in them. In other words, in the Christian life, our good works 
are not the cause of our salvation. They are the result of our salvation. It's important we keep this distinction in mind that good works don't cause us to be saved. Good works are the result of having been saved. And I think Paul really wants this to be clear in our minds. We are not saved by good works, but we are set free by God's grace to be able to do good works. Because in doing these good works, we actually glorify God. Good works testify to the fact that we have been redeemed so that our lives might reflect what theologians refer to as the craftsmanship and character of God. Good works are also the result of our being united to Christ. Because apart from Christ, we can do nothing that pleases God. But in Christ, we are created to perform God-honoring acts of obedience. Because it's in Christ that we can be confident that God will accept even our weakest efforts. See, Paul's also saying that good works are the result of God's pattern for the Christian's life. I think we, we, we don't have to wonder, we don't have to think about, well, what does God ask, require of me? What God requires of us He's told us already in his word, which is that we are to do good works. So when we do good works, when we do good deeds, we are simply conforming to God's instruction to us. That's why good works matter. Good works are obedience to God's commands. Why do I say that? Remember what Jesus said in John 14:15, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments." Obedience, however frail and feeble, is evidence of our love for Christ. And far from undermining the gospel of grace, good works perfectly complement the gospel. In the Christian life, we should delight in doing good works because in them we serve God and in serving God, we glorify Him. And everything that the Apostle Paul tells us in, in these eight verses is so that we will know how to relate to a world that hates us. We never know how the world will react to our good deeds or to even tangible expressions of love. But we do know that the Lord will use them as a witness. Many people judge God and the church by what they see believers doing or not doing. We don't know 
how God will use our witness. We do know that we are supposed to relate to a world that is antagonistic to us by doing good good deeds. And it should be a great comfort to us to know that we have explicit instruction in God's word to do that. We need to beware and and not become cynical and not grow weary of doing good. So here is my encouragement. Do not grow weary in doing good deeds. Keep on doing what you have been doing. God will use your good deeds. God will use your witness. And God will help you in doing those good deeds, even in the most difficult of circumstances. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reminder from the Apostle Paul of the importance of believers doing good works as a witness for you. Encourage all in our congregation to show love to all, to all that we come across, no matter how difficult that may be. Enable us by your Spirit to be a witness in our lives, in our works, in our deeds for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.